When it comes to Christianity, a lot of people ask this very simple but important question, and that, is it true? And that's a really great question. Some of you would say, yeah, I believe Christianity is true. And some of you would say, I'm not sure. And I totally respect that because there's a lot of things to believe is true when it comes to following Jesus. So that makes total sense. And we're going to talk about that in the future. But today, as we jump into this brand new series called It's All Good, I want to ask this question. Is it good? Is Christianity good? Is it good for you? Is it good for me? Is it good for the world, our families, and our children, and our government? Is it good or is it harmful? Now, wouldn't you agree, when it comes to things that aren't good, we kind of hope they're not true. When it, when it comes to things like, hey, I got to notice that Netflix just tripled their prices, we hope that's not true. Or that Amazon cancels Prime and we don't get two-day delivery. We're like, I hope that's not true because that's not good. For me, if eggnog is taken away at Christmas time, I'm going to hope that's not true also. But the other side of that's true um, in the same direction. When something good happens, we kind of hope it's true. Like, for instance, this. Wouldn't you hope that processed sugar extends your life expectancy is true? Don't you kind of hope, even though it's not that, that that is true because it's kind of a good thing? I mean, you could pour more sugar on your frosted flakes, more ice cream in your life, and it wouldn't have a negative effect because we hope it's true because it is a very good thing. Now, here's where it connects with us today. When the angel comes along 2,000 years ago and announces the birth of Jesus, he announced it as good news, maybe the best news, and good news of great joy for all mankind. Now, this was a mind-blowing thing when people heard this because no one expected it to be for everyone. This coming Messiah that would save the people from their sins was for everybody. It meant it was for Jews and Romans and Samaritans and people halfway around the world that hear about it someday. And it was for you and it was for me. And if it's that good of great joy and news for everyone, here's the question I have for us. Why do we resist it sometimes? And why is there resistance when it comes to Christianity? And why don't we hope that's true? If it really is full of joy and hope and it's for everything. Now here's what I would say to you. If somehow when you think about Jesus and you think about Christianity, if there's some version in your mind and your heart to think, that's just not good. It's just not joyful. It's not for me. I would suggest maybe you grew up with the wrong version of it, or you didn't have the original version of it, or you have bumped into some Christians that didn't portray Jesus in the way that he wants to be portrayed. And Luke gives us such great insight to this. Luke, who wrote about Jesus' life, and he documented what Jesus did and said and giving his life on the cross. This is what Luke quotes Jesus as saying. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And John, in this story, is John the Baptist. And here's the interesting thing. The law and the prophets were basically for Jewish people before Jesus showed up on the planet. You see, they were Jewish people that had just come out of captivity, and they needed a moral law and a spiritual law and a way to deal with their sin. In a lot of ways, it was good for them. But if you weren't a Jewish person, if you were part of the rest of the world, it may have felt like in the moment it wasn't so good for you because you were a little bit on the outside looking in. And so Jesus says, all this was proclaimed until John came along and proclaimed me. Since that time, since John and myself came onto the scene, the good news, I mean, there it is again, of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone, I love this, is forcing their way into it. When people began to understand what Jesus brought to the planet, 
and his version and view of who God was. People wanted to be a part of it, his teaching, his life, his sacrifice on the cross. And again, if there's something in you that thinks, you know, Christmas and Christianity and Jesus is a bad thing, maybe you have heard the wrong version of the story and missed the original version. Because Luke would say the original version is compelling and it's worth Telling. Now, when it comes to telling the story of Jesus, it's important for us to know that if you had your story told 2,000 years ago, it was almost for certain that you were a very rich, important person. For someone to write your life story, you would have to pay really expensive scribes and historians, and they would write out your life story, and then you would get a preview of it, you would edit it, and make sure it sounded the way you wanted it to sound. Remember, Luke writes about Jesus after Jesus is gone. And there's nobody really around to pay him the kind of money that it would require to tell the story if it was just made up. And Luke says, along with Matthew and Mark and John, who wrote the other Gospels, he starts out his account about Jesus by saying, many. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think of the word many. Like, if you think about having your own children, maybe three is many kids. For you, six isn't enough, but many for me was certainly three. But that's not in the same realm when it comes to the stars in the sky. Because when we say there's many stars, I mean, that's, there's billions and billions, right? Well, Luke just says many. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, to give an account of who Jesus is and his life. And what Luke is trying to help us understand is he wasn't the only writer about Jesus. There's other people. And there's certainly Matthew, Mark, and John, and then himself, Luke. But he indicates there were way more than himself that were writing down these accounts. Now, think about it this way. I don't want to make you feel bad, but when it comes to the end of your life and you go on from this world, how many people do you think will sit down and write a long, drawn-out, detailed account of your life? Well, I know how many. Not many. And there's not going to be many that write about my life either. Although you're wonderful people and you're good people and God loves you, not many are going to draw accounts of our lives. So the question that we have to ask Luke in this season is, why so many? Why so many decided to document the life of a dead man? And Luke would just simply look at you and look at I and say, it's because something significant happened. But past significance, something good happened. The original version of the story and the life of Jesus was viewed by its original hearers as something that was amazing. And it was good. And Luke goes on to tell us. He says, just, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses, which means I heard this from people that saw it for themselves, and servants of the word. And this is just as an introduction to us to Jesus' life. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and the beginning is the beginning of Jesus' life. I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too, which means I'm joining other people who have done this exact same thing, I too decided to write to an write to an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theophilus. Now, let's just talk about this incredible name, Theophilus. Outside of having a really cool name, most likely this gentleman was a wealthy Christian who believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but was curious and wanted to find out all the story. And so he probably aided and helped Luke, resourcing him with the ability to go and talk to everyone Luke could to find out the most exact details about Jesus' life and get an account of it. 
And if you ask Luke, hey, Luke, why did you do this? Why did you write all this out? Here was what I think Luke would say. So that you may know the certainty, the knowledge certainty, the understanding of the things that you've been taught. Many people wrote about Jesus. Four um, historical documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, survived antiquity. But the conclusion of all of them were, this is good. Jesus is good. Christianity is good. And Jesus steps on the pages of history and people experience how good God actually is. And the question I want to answer today for us as we get into our series is, how good was it? Let's start with this place, forgiveness. How good was it when Jesus brought forgiveness into the lives of the people that he loved and the rest of the world? You see, up to this point, if you were a Jewish person, which is Jesus' background, you had to sacrifice and go to the temple and jump through hoops to find any level of forgiveness in your life. And Jesus brings something that's brand new. And Jesus tells the story of him going to a house where everybody crowded in the house. It was probably the house of a rich person with a big courtyard and a big overhanging roof. And people wanted to hear what Jesus was saying because it was so new and revolutionary. And so people are packed in. It's probably hot and hard to hear, but they were trying to pick up any little nuance of what Jesus was teaching. So Jesus is teaching one day in this place, all these people. And above them, on top of the roof, they hear this really strange noise, like raccoons have gotten on the roof, and they're scratching, and then more noise, and it sounded like people were pulling the roof apart, and dust was falling down. And what had happened is some men had carried a person that could not walk onto the roof, because they were trying to get him to Jesus, and now they're pulling off tiles off the roof. Now, can you imagine if you were the owner of the home? You're like, great, I invite Jesus over, and my roof's getting tore up. Until finally they pulled enough roof out that they could peer through. And looking up, there's four or five heads looking down at Jesus. And they drop their buddy in. He can't walk. And something that probably looked like a hammock at the feet of Jesus. Now, if I was there, I would have said, hey, ye, don't you know that there's 11 a.m. service that you can come back to? This is the 920. But they didn't have multiple services 2,000 years ago. At the same time, while this is happening... There's Pharisees in the crowd, religious leaders, people that had you know, adapted or adopted and shared the wrong version of who God was. And Jesus knew this was a prime moment for me to make a statement of who my heavenly Father is like that I've come to show the world. And Jesus looks at this man that's been lame for so long, and he just simply says, friend. And I love that he called him a friend. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And probably the guy that came to get healed is like, hey, that's not why I'm here. I came here to get my legs back. But okay, I'll take some forgiveness from sins. Now at the same time, remember the religious leaders are in the crowd. And they're thinking we have this complex system of forgiving sins and it's animal sacrifice and we benefit from it and we make money off it and only God can forgive sins. Who are you? And of course Jesus knew they were thinking this. And so he says this and Luke records it. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority I'm bringing the truth to you on earth to forgive sins. I know there's this complicated temple system. I know you think you have to sacrifice animals, but I'm bringing forgiveness now. Now, here's a side note, and I don't really have an answer for how this works with this man. He never even asked for forgiveness. Jesus just offers it to him by him wanting to be there. So how do you forgive someone? Jesus says, so. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up and take your mat and walk and go home. 
In other words, you're not sure I can forgive sins. Would it help you believe if I caused a man that has not been able to walk for a long time? I mean, his legs are shot. It ain't happening. If I can make him walk, would you believe that I'm bringing something more than just healing of legs? Okay, get up and walk and go home. And he did. And people were in awe. And it was good news, not just for that man, but they started to believe they could be really forgiven. Now, you got to address the idea of, you know, your sins being forgiven. Because maybe you're a person that thinks, listen, Matt, I, I'm not about sin. I'm not about guilt. I'm not about shame. I don't want to think of myself as a sinful person. And I completely understand that. Maybe it would help you because it helps me to think about how Jesus defines sin at its most basic level. And that was simply this, that when you hurt someone God loves and God made and God created, that's sin. And of course, if you murder someone, if you steal from someone, that's sin. We'd all agree with that. But anytime you cheat, you take credit for someone else's work, you dishonor someone, you compare yourself to them hoping they do worse than you, anytime you have a thought that's negative towards someone in a way they don't deserve, that's sin. And it becomes so complex, our sin, you look in the mirror and go, you know what, I'm a sinner. Not to mention when I compare myself to the way God conducts himself in the way Jesus loved people and loved people around him, I'm a sinner. I mean, and, and you want someone to love you better than maybe you love other people. And God says, yeah, that's what I'm trying to bring to this planet. And our standard is how Jesus loved people. That was good news. It was a game changer that we were called to love instead of walk down darker paths with our lives. It's good news. The question is, how good? How good? It was so good that Jesus would offer this kind of forgiveness, this kind of relationship, this kind of come into my kingdom to almost anybody, actually not almost anybody, everybody, regardless of their background, regardless how far they had dug a hole in their life, regardless to what they had done, he would say, step in to following me and we'll just see it happen over and over again. We see another story. Jesus and his followers, they come to a crossroads and had a toll booth. I mean, you've been on Highway 80 and you run into those crazy toll booths and sometimes you throw in a dollar, sometimes it's 10. If you go all the way to New Jersey, it's $50. It's really expensive, right? But at this toll booth, 2,000 years ago, there wasn't one of those great big arms that raised when you put your money in. There was a Roman soldier who had a huge spear. And if you didn't pay your tax, pay your fine, he would just stab you in the chest with a spear. Now, sitting next to this Roman soldier was a Jewish man named Matthew, and he was a tax collector. We've talked about this, but if you've never heard this story, you need to know Matthew was considered the worst sinner of all sinners. In fact, there were sinners and there were tax collectors, and Jewish people hated tax collectors more than anyone else because they were Jewish that were people that were working for Rome that were robbing their own people. And it's so fascinating, like when you know, the rabbis would preach about what a sinful person looks like, they would appoint it to a person like Matthew. He was the illustration. And then he looks at Matthew and all of his sin. And all of he's been hurting the people around him. And he's betrayed everyone in his life, even his own family. And the fact that there's no afterlife at all for him because of what he's done. And Jesus just simply says, hey, Matthew, follow me. Come, come with me. Go where I go in your mess. And Matthew is sitting there in disbelief. And Jesus says, Matthew, are you going to come with me and follow me? And 
Matthew probably can't believe it because, Jesus, why would you call a man like me? You're a holy rabbi, and I'm the sinner of all sinners, not to mention your followers, especially Peter. They're giving me the skunk eye. They can't believe you're asking me to go with you now. And here's the other interesting thing. Matthew wasn't like he'd been a sinner in the past. He is in the middle of robbing them as a tax collector in the moment. Jesus calls him while he is sinning. And maybe the most amazing thing is Matthew stands up and he follows him. Now here's a question for you. You think that's good news? That he calls a man like Matthew? And he calls a person like you? And he calls a person like me? And I'm sure Peter is just furious. And Jesus goes, hey, Peter, if you're furious about that, you're going to really hate what we do next because we're going to Matthew's house. And we're going to hang out with him and all of his rotten tax collector friends. And we're hanging out. And so they do. And now they're having a party with a bunch of sinful tax collectors. And on the outside of Matthew's house are the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And they won't even get close to the house. They're just trying to figure this out. How can Jesus be so insightful to who God is, yet he's in there with the the sinners and not out here with us righteous people. And Jesus knows about this and he says this and Luke records it. He says, I had not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous because this was never for perfect people because by the way, there are no perfect people. But I've come to call sinners. I've come to call people that are honest enough with themselves to know that they have hurt people around them, they dishonored God They have been unfaithful to the things they wanted to be faithful for. And I've called them to follow me. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that's good news for us? Those of us, when we look in the mirror, we're honest enough to go, I'm a sinner. I really don't have it all figured out. I can't get through a day with keeping a straight line in my life. And then the next thing he says is, it's like a next level of amazement to me. He said, I've come to call sinners to repentance. I haven't called them to condemnation. I haven't called them to shame. I've called them to repentance, which means to see themselves and see God and see the world differently. To engage me in a way that they turn from things they shouldn't do to a way better life. To actually be changed from the inside out. Let me ask you a question. Do Do you think that's good news? That by following Jesus we can be different? Do you think that's good news? And if you do, the question is, how good? And then it gets better because the people that followed Jesus, he didn't just, he didn't just invite them to be good. Because this is where Christians, like me, maybe like you, this is where we stop. We're just going to be good. My friends, But this is also where hypocrisy starts. Because when I am focused, I'm just going to be good. I'm just going to be good. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to do those things. I begin to be a hypocrite really fast. Because now I start to feel good about myself. Because I'm being good. Now, I think you should be a good person. I think I should be a good person. But Jesus did not call us to be good. He called us to do good. Follow me where I go. And you're going to in, 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 um, come into a different kind of kingdom that I've brought to this earth. And this is what the different kind of kingdom looks like through the leading and following of Jesus. And Luke tells us, here, here's what it looks like. Do good for those who hate you, and pray for those who would mistreat you. (laughs) Jesus, I got a question. Who does that? God doesn't do that, and Jesus says, no, you're wrong. God does that exact thing. That's why I'm here. And you're going to understand that very clearly when I give my life on the cross for you. And my friends, if you have any other version of Christianity than that version, 
you might have the wrong version. To which Jesus explains this. He says, if, if you do good to those who are good to you, that's not special, that's just average. What credit is that to you? This kind of thinking has been around forever. You just treat people good that are good to you. Yeah, everyone does that. There's nothing special. But this is what I've come to do and I've come to call you to. And Jesus would say, I'm going first in this. I just want you to follow me. Love your enemies, he would say. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. This is where we are going. The next thing he says almost can't be true. It's so good. But this is kingdom living. Love your enemies. Be good to them. And you, you and me will be children of the Most High. This is what your Heavenly Father is like. Because he decided to love you even though you mistreated him. He decided to love me even though I was a mess and a sinful disaster. This is a brand new way of thinking. And he says because, and here's the reasoning, because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And again, the question is, is this really God? Is this really what God was like and is like? My friends, this is exactly what Jesus did when he crawled upon the cross and he was crucified for my sorry, ungrateful self and he loved me in spite of me and he loved you in spite of me. It is good news. I'll tell you something about you. You've been ungrateful. You've been wicked. In fact, I'll just take that back. I'll I'll just completely retract that statement. I have been ungrateful and I know I have been wicked in my past life, and I'm telling you what bounces around in my head sometimes, I go, man, that's pretty dark and that's pretty wicked. Here's the challenge for us. This is not the way Christians act most of the time. And I would go as far to say as I have been an eyewitness, and maybe you have too, is we've really not done real well in the last six months when it comes to our faith as Christians in many circles and many genres. And I'm afraid I'm a part of that. And it's given us a bad reputation and it's misportrayed the person of Jesus. And here's where I think it comes from for a lot of us that we just get wrapped up in believing. I just believe. I just believe. I just believe. And it's good to believe in Jesus as your Savior. But what makes the difference in this world is when we follow. In fact, I would go on as far as to say as this believing almost makes no difference in this world. Might for eternity, but in this world, I'm not sure it makes much of a difference at all. But when we follow Jesus and we imitate him and we go where he goes and we step in the directions he steps and we pray for enemies and we love our enemies and we're good to our enemies and the people that mistreat us, everything is changed and it is good. And you're invited to that. And I'm invited to that because that's what God did for us. That's why Luke makes sure we know that Jesus said, be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. What's not good about that? And again, if you didn't grow up with this version of Christianity, I want us to grab onto it. One of the things I love to think about is this idea that there are no self-righteous Jesus followers. Because it's almost impossible to follow Jesus where he goes and see how good he is and for me to go, yeah, I'm really good too. It can't happen. When I'm really that close to Jesus, I go, listen, I'm not righteous in any way, shape, or form. I'm not taking any credit. And so when I look at you, I'm not down on you. I'm not against you. I'm just going to try and love you like my Savior loved me. 
It's why when the angel showed up and he announced the birth of the Savior of the world, he said this, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. And the word Savior indicates that we need saving from our sins. It just levels the playing field when we realize all of us need saving regardless of our family background, regardless of our actions. We all just need saving. A Savior has been born to you, to me. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And he came not for his own good. In fact, you may be asking, Matt, you're asking a lot of me as far as being good to people I don't like. Why would I really do that? Because your Savior and my Savior did not come for his own good. He came for your good and solely for people like you and like me. It's why Matthew, another follower of Jesus, said the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for everyone that falls short, as a ransom for everybody that knows they're guilty, as a ransom for everybody that knows they're broken and that are honest enough to go, Jesus, I need help in the forgiveness of my sins, and you're the answer to that. That is good news, that all of my ungood was put solely on the back of the best person that ever lived. And then Jesus said, he said to you and he said to me, follow me, go where I go. Is Christianity good? Is it good for society? Is it good for our world? Is it good for my children? Is it good for my marriage? Matthew thought it was good, and Mark thought it was good, and John, and certainly Luke thought it was good. Peter and James and Mary and Jesus' mom and Mary, they they thought it was good. Jesus' own brother, James, thought it was good because it changed everything. And anytime we get away from the original version of our faith, it does not go to good places. So we've got to hang on. And in this season, this Christmas season, I want us to hang on with both hands. Because Luke said, many have undertaken, dropped the account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Let's get this right. Let's follow. And if you're not a, a believer or follower of Jesus, a simple invitation, just like to Matthew And everyone else in the world was Jesus saying to you, follow, go where I go, come with me. Because it's good news of great joy for all people, you people, me people, us people. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that the original version of our faith, the only true version of our faith, is Jesus calling the most broken of people like me and like us to follow. Lord, help us to get this right. Help us to keep the original version in our hearts and not just be good, but do good things for other people. And let the world see us shining for you. And for every person that's out there that just doesn't think they're good enough, the things they have a shot with you, Jesus, that they would get past that and begin to follow you wherever you lead them. And that following would turn into trust and belief. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.